Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was 9-11 uh, was itself. Welcome. This is the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. It's your welcome to the weekend Truth Jihad Radio special right here on Revolution.radio, the greatest of listener-sponsored free speech networks. If you care about free speech, and there are getting to be fewer and fewer platforms available for genuinely free speech on the Internet, please do help support Revolution.radio. And you can also subscribe to my Substack by way of TruthJihad.com and just click on the subscribe at Substack button. I'm Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com, waging the all-out struggle for truth here since 2006 on a long list of different networks culminating in the finest of all, Revolution.radio. So tonight, all right, great show lined up here. Two of my favorite guests who come on periodically. In the second hour, Lynn Din is returning after a long absence because he's been in the wrong time zones to get on this show. He spent the two years of the pandemic or scamdemic or whatever you want to call it, traveling all around the world staying one step ahead of the brain police and the lockdowns and the vax mandates. He traveled through Laos and Cairo, Alexandria, Aswan, Tirana, Cape Town, and on and on and on, long list of places. And finally, just in as Putin ended the scamdemic <laughs> by invading Ukraine, Lin managed to get back to Vietnam. And so he's going to talk to us live from Vietnam in the second hour, God and the Internet willing. Okay, first our guest, Professor Thaddeus Kaczynski, has been telling it like it is for a long time and somehow managing to stay afloat in academia. I don't know how he does it. They chase me out with torches and pitchforks, and he's just as hardcore of a truth jihadi as I am, as you'll find out if you read his new article, Foucault Told the Truth. Well, yeah, Foucault Told the Truth. They can handle that in the academy. But if they read what Thaddeus Kaczynski says about the truth that Foucault told and how it applies to our age... Uh, they're probably going to get out those torches and pitchforks. But anyway, uh, hopefully Thaddeus can ward them off and tell it like he sees it right here on Truth Jihad Radio. So, hey, welcome, Thaddeus Kaczynski. It's great to have you back. Hey, Kevin. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, good good to be here. Yeah, wonderful to have you back. It's uh, It sure has been a, a crazy time. It's, it's one darn thing after another. And uh, <laughs> so Foucault, you know, that brings me back to my graduate school days when Foucault and postmodernism were all the rage. Yeah, it was kind of a nihilism. The basic philosophy there is, is that we can't really know the truth. We can't know much of any, anything. Everything we think we know is constructed by power, and we're part of a sort of a, a network of, of power that we don't even see, and it speaks us, it creates us, and there's really uh, not a whole lot of hope for breaking out of it. In, in the postmodern uh, and Foucault kind of way of looking at things. And so you, you took a slightly different tack on Foucault, one that wouldn't win you too many points with the postmodernists I used to work with. Uh, so what, what does Foucault have to say about what's going on with the, the scamdemic and, and other such things? Well, it's, it's pretty simple, I think, to me. It's, it's basically just that 
these um these people like Foucault um and Derrida and then before him those two uh Nietzsche, you know, and and all the way back to Thrasymachus and Plato's Republic, um saying that justice is the will of the stronger. Um and Protagoras saying that man is the measure of truth, right? These are uh, claims that are true when you're talking about a thoroughly corrupt system of discourse or culture or politics. That is how politics, culture, discourse, um, lifestyles, you know, religion, whatever you want to say, ethics, that's how it works when it's corrupt. In, in, in other words, when it's detached from reality, when it's detached from God and the Logos, um, and I say in my subtitle, Foucault was right about the kingdom of darkness. That's, you know, hell. If you read Dante's Inferno, um, discourse is manipulative. It's deceptive. The, the discourse between um, conversations between Dante and the damned, um, you know, that's what our discourse is right now or becoming um, kind of hell on earth where everything is. Manipulative. Everything is vampirish. Um, people's from the top down. Um, at the top, you have people who you would never want to even be next to or near, let alone speak with, because every word out of their mouths is, is a poisonous trap to put you under their power. Well, I think, you know, that's how a narcissist behaves. You've written on narcissism and studied it, psychopath narcissism. Well, it's a macrocosm now of this, and it's affecting everyone. And uh, the best of us are tainted by it and are tempted to, um, instead of using language to communicate truth in love, um, you know, we're being tempted to, uh, to, to use it for manipula manipulative purposes for our own power. And I think that's the greatest temptation that's being foisted upon us since the, the pandemic and now what I call the Ukraine insane. I like, that's my TM. I, I made that up. That's mine. Do we have to pay you a nickel every time we say that? <laughs> I haven't heard anyone say it yet but me. But um, anyway, that, that's what I think. If, and, and I think these, these writers like Foucault, he was himself a very um, uh, unethical person. Let's put it that way. He, he was known to, you know, inhabit the bathhouses in uh, – was he in San Francisco? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, he, he was in the Bay Area during the, the height of the sexual liberation movement there that – gave rise to the AIDS pandemic. Yeah, Nietzsche himself uh, had syphilis because of his uh, almost like, a, I think, a willful decision against God at some point to go to a brothel, if I remember, if that's correct. And so, you know, we either conform desire to truth or truth to desire. And um, so what they're doing is they're, they're sort of giving an archaeology, uh, to use Foucault's word, uh, term, of the demented spirit and mind um and they're very accurate about it i mean once you begin with the premise that there is no uh love in the world and truth is simply the 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 statements of the powerful um then you go from there and, and i think the 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 hidden grammar as e michael jones would say of our discourse is Foucaultian and the actions are Foucault. Everything's Foucaultian, but you have people who don't want to admit this, right? The word, the, the, so this is why Foucault is a little more honorable because he would admit this and say, look, it's all power. Stop virtue signaling. Stop telling us that this is the truth. These are the good guys. 
these are the bad guys. No, there are none. There never was. Um, it's simply uh, recognizing the thoroughly manipulative nature of discourse and then negotiating your way in it to get the most, most power. Who, who, who admits that today? You know, they don't admit that. And maybe if that were admitted, people would see it and, and be disgusted or some people would love it. But the point is, it's hidden with this smarmy um, kind of what I call like an antichrist uh, veneer, because the antichrist is going to, you know, this antichrist spirit is to be more Christian, more virtuous, more loving than than Christ. Right. So he's not going to come out as a Foucaultian, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the. People who are playing the victim and getting power by uh, pretending to either be the victim or to sympathize with victims, uh, sort of playing this game that uh, Rene Girard tells us has been going on since the rise of Christianity. But now in the post-Christian era, it's kind of gone off the rails. And so we, we have people who are making good livings and getting accumulating power by making statements as if they were themselves oppressed and powerless and or they were identifying with and standing up for those who are oppressed and powerless when in fact it's all a big game for them to get more power. When Some people would describe the Democratic Party as essentially doing that and very little else. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think I think uh, this Foucault uh, analysis of yours is on to something. And it almost makes me wonder if the perpetrators of the scandemic and perhaps 9-11 and other things have been reading Foucault alongside Orwell as a sort of how-to manual. Yeah. And uh, and actually, that's not really as outrageous as it sounds, because if you go back and look at the Straussian neoconservative philosophy, he was heavily influenced by Nietzsche and moved into that postmodern paradigm of believing you know, this being a complete nihilist, believing that there's there's no good, no truth. It's all just the the only truth is the word of the stronger, and the only uh, the only moral law is is the law that the stronger has the the right. The only the only right is the right of the stronger to enforce his will on the weaker, and so they do that by uh, lying, cheating, stealing, uh, and so on. And I think the I think Foucault's uh, analysis of power, which is post-Nietzschean, was probably something that these people have actually read and largely agreed with. But they don't think that they they don't want to come out right and, and admit that they know that the truth. They think this is the actual truth that that that's what life is. They think that truth is too dangerous to be shared with the masses, so they keep it to themselves and manipulate the shadows on the walls of Plato's cave. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think these people probably have been reading Foucault and drawing some very yeah. bad lessons from it. Well, you know what's paradoxical, and I mentioned this in the article that, um, you know, I said, you know, what if you do realize that Foucault is telling the truth? Um, what do you do then? Well, there can't be truth in the Foucaultian uh, universe. And that's hard for us to even say that they're. Yeah, that's like the Cretan liars paradox, except this is the Foucaultian uh, truth tellers paradox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the minute that the minute that a Foucaultian claim um, or a Nietzschean claim and postmodernism itself, relativism, the minute it enters into the Socratic, meaning the minute it is uh, put into the elenchus, which is the inquiry mode, and one looks at the claim to see if it's true. That looking at a claim to see if it's true using the mind and evidence is itself the opposite of 
Foucaultianism or Nietzscheanism, right? So the mode of life has to be one that's truthless, not because one is against truth or says this, but because it doesn't even come to one's mind to make judgments of truth. One is too busy making practical judgments of power to gain power and using um, any kind of claim as merely a tool of manipulation and power. Um, and, and, the, and the key there then is to never permit, you know, this to be looked at philosophically, uh, this whole thing. To, so the political becomes everything. There is no room for speculative or contemplation or inquiry. It's not that it's censored or shunned. I mean, that's one way to do it. It's just that it, it becomes a kind of non-existing mode of life. That's the goal they have. They want to prevent the possibility of inquiry. Even bad inquiry, they don't want. Like, they, they just don't want uh, the idea that there's a realm of reality that one can engage where one examines reality under this transcendental called truth. Um, I mean, if you think about it, somebody who is uh, constantly tortured and abused um, is not thinking about the truth. Uh, their leisure time is gone. They're simply doing everything they do to survive, right? It's like the drug addict who will say anything to get the money um, for the next crack high or something, right? They'll, they'll tell you anything. They're not even in the world of truth. They're simply in the world of manipulation. Don't you think that more and more of our culture and discourse is becoming um, not so much full of untruths and, you know, bad claims, but really even not even in the in the universe of of making truth claims. It, it's simply just that, that's what that's kind of what I'm getting at in the article. Um, it's a it's a kind of very low level existential situation where conditioning we're in. And I've noticed this in um, in microcosm in different. You mentioned academia, um, the academic environment um, in most places, and, and this is true of even even in so-called Christian or Catholic environments. There's a veneer of um, you know intellectual integrity and search for truth, and there's talk about this, but the actual like warp and woof of the of the experience is manipulative. Um, you know what I mean? And, and so I think it's just becoming more and more like that. Uh, if, if you're able to detect manipulation and say that's manipulation as opposed to truth inquiry, you know, that's a kind of becoming more and more of a miracle. Uh, and they're and they're doing their best to get rid of those that get rid of that. Um, get You know, they're you know, they're calling people who do that. They're just they're, they're not just debating with they're not debating with them or they're simply um Deplatforming, canceling, destroying, um, killing, you know, in terms of livelihood and reputation and sometimes even physical life. Um, and that's, of course, the earmark of totalitarianism where the distinction between fact and fiction is gone. And the person for whom the distinction between fact and fiction no longer exists is the perfect citizen of the totalitarian regime. Here's a quiz. Who said that, Kevin? Um, good, good question. Uh, Hannah Arendt? Yes. All right. A plus. Very good. <laughs> good guess. <laughs> that, that was her. Yeah. She said that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like, yeah, it, it sounds kind of, kind of like the, uh, the, the analysis of the, uh, the, you know, COVID scamdemic as mass formation psychosis. Yes. That we've been hearing about. Yeah. 
Oh, so, that's, so, good. that's a good insight because people who are in that psychotic state, they're not thinking, literally. They're not thinking. I mean, I think what you're getting, what I'm getting at is a, a, a truly a cessate. There's going to be a lot of words, a lot of discourse, but no actual thought, meaning that um, there's no actual words being said, judgments being made, claims being made that are anything other than for the purpose of manipulation, both on the speaker's part and the listener's part. I, th- I think that's what we're, we're heading for or and already in. Yeah, I think you're right. And I could sense that really coming on post 9-11, once I read David Ray Griffin's analysis and got involved in the truth movement, I noticed that the argument was really very easy to win from the pro 9-11 truth side. And the deflections and obfuscations on the other side were, they ranged from, from bad to just completely pathetic. And it's, it's, you know, people would just literally kind of say anything to avoid the argument. And pretty soon the word truth became pejorative. They started you say, talking about truthiness. So I guess you know, anybody who, who still is searching for truth is characterized by something called truthiness. And a person who wants the truth about things like 9-11 is a truther, which is bad because we don't like the truth. So, you know, I, I thought originally when the 9-11 truth movement sort of chose that name for itself, that it was a pretty good choice because, you know, who could be against the truth? Well, <laughs> little did I realized the whole culture is against the truth. <laughs> and so it, and then it got worse. And I think with, with COVID, we really could see how they were consciously saying things, not because they thought they were true, but because they thought that that would elicit the behavior that they wanted. You know, with 9-11, nobody really came out and admitted that. But with COVID, they did. Look, Fauci admitted that first he said that masks don't work, not because they don't work, because he later changed his mind and said they do work. He, he said, they, well, I just told you that they don't work because I was trying to get you to, to lay off the masks so they could be saved for the first responders who need them. Oh, you were lying to us to manipulate whether or not we would use these masks. Okay, and then later, of course, he changed his mind. He said, well, actually, the cloth masks don't work, but now you should go out and buy some N95s because there are lots of them for sale and maybe I have stock in the company or something. But, yeah, total manipulation. And and likewise, the people who believed in the scandemic uh, sincerely, which is, of course, 99.9% of the people who were pushing the usual kinds of COVID measures, I think were pretty conscious of the fact that they were participating in this Foucault-like discourse system where the only issue was just trying to influence behavior to get people to do what they want them to do, namely to distance, to mask, to get vaccinated. And we'll just say whatever it takes to make that happen. And they pretty much just admitted that. And now with Russia versus Ukraine, it's gone really off the rails. If you read the mainstream media now about this, it's so obvious that there's zero concern for the truth about anything whatsoever. They just totally make stuff up. You know, it goes from, oh, well, Russia is losing to Russia's committing war crimes and they make up the war crimes and they make you know, Russia. Uh, Putin's got cancer here and it's totally make stuff up without the slightest concern for truth. And then you know, I was listening to public radio a while back and they had a, a, some expert on talking about how, well, it may not have actually been true that the heroes of Snake Island were actually heroic uh, or that the uh, the ghost fighters shot down Russian planes. But that doesn't matter because it encouraged the Ukrainians to fight harder. And, so they're coming right out now and admitting that they don't even care at all about truth. 
Now, how could anybody believe a word of what they're getting out of the media and, and get all excited about Ukraine in this kind of situation? I mean, how stupid would you have to be? Well, about as stupid as, what, 70, 80 percent of the people? I don't know. Oh, yes. Um, you know, it, it's hard. So the when you when you believe something that makes you feel good to believe it, uh, it makes you feel like, you know, this is Rene Girard, right? You're part of the the righteous group, you have your scapegoat, right? Um, you know, in the normal situation, they have to hide the innocence of the scapegoat, right? Because if he was, if he were innocent, it wouldn't work. You know, he has to be seen as guilty. You have, and then that, that the innocence is imputed to you because you're the one recognizing the guilt and you're against the evil and all that. And that gives you a sense of solidarity with others. And you're in reality and you're on the good side, and you have an identity, and you have uh, a purpose in life, you know, you have some drama in your life that used to be just mindless consumerism and hedonism and, you know, isolation. Now you've got, you know, these emotional things that are being fulfilled. But it seems to me that you really want to think that this fantasy that you're believing in is, is true, um, if you really didn't think it were true, I think it wouldn't work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, well, I, and, and I think when they're pushing, you know, the Snake Island heroes or the ghost fighter kinds of stories, um, that the, the people who are pushing that, some of them know they're not true, uh, but view them as platonic noble lies. That is, they convince themselves right. that, well, something like this is true. You know, that, that they, a bunch of fighters really shot down some Russian planes. So we might as well just say there was a ghost fighter or, or there, there have been well, some heroic right. Ukrainians. So let's just say that it happened at Snake Island, even though it didn't. Well, that's true about the, the, the propagandists. I'm talking about now the receivers of the propaganda at this point. Um, those not in the ruling class and maybe those not even in the second, those maybe in the third tier of people. Not not the kind of low low level uh, ruling class, but just the peep the masses. Let's say, um, I think the idea here is to get people into a situation where they really they really wouldn't they wouldn't change their viewpoint even if they knew it were untrue. So. Mm -hmm. I just, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's like Fran Schur, the 9-11 psychologist, told us about that person she spoke to who said, I wouldn't believe this stuff you're telling me about 9-11, even if it were true. <laughs> yes, and I think that's it. And I, I think it's happening. I, I, In other words, the question of whether or not the things you claim to think are, are true, the question um, is not important anymore. It's simply whether or not me saying these things and believing them, believe in scare quotes, uh, does does the work I want it to do for me. Um, but the paradox of this is it only will, this is what I'm trying to figure out here. The, the paradox is it really can't do the work unless you think it's true to some extent. Um, because, you know what I mean? I, I don't. I don't think it could be that you really don't think it's true. I don't think it's going to have the same emotional, um, reputational, uh, career, economic, social uh, goods. It's not going to have those uh, benefits. But I wonder if people are at simultaneous. I wrote this about in another article on my Substack. I wonder if people are getting to the point now, and this sounds like Orwell, 
where they're 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 actually both knowing and not knowing it's true. Um, and I think people are, are becoming used to that state. Um, and and that to me sounds like satanic, uh, occult witch witchcraft, where, where you get somebody in a state where they're, um, you know, their yes is not yes, and their no is not no. They're they're in between. That that to me just seems so so degrading and inhuman. Um, you know, it's one thing to to be a, a a liar, know you're lying, and but it's another thing to kind of be a liar to yourself and to others, and kind of know and not know it. Um, and that that's that kind of I think I got this idea from Tom Brydenback, you know, his his book on nine eleven, because he mentioned that the way that satanic liturgy works like a black mass, you know, done as a false flag is to have you, um, is to lie to you and to have you believe it, but also to give enough evidence that it's a lie, but not enough so that it's too obvious, but enough so that you kind of know in the back of your mind that what you're worshiping and, uh, the narrative you're, you're believing in is, is if you just looked into it, it would probably fall, but you don't look into it. Right. And, and so, <laughs> That kind of gray area is exactly where the devil wants people, right? Um, you, know, you know, that reminds me of my colleagues at the University of Wisconsin that I spoke with about 9-11 before I became well-known in that field. And the response I got from all of them was one version or another of, well, you know, Kevin, you might be right about this, but I don't want to look into it because it could be true. Yeah. And so it, it's it's a state where people don't actually believe what they believe. Um, and that's, that's really pretty scary. Um, if you think about it, they, they, they kind of believe what they believe, but they don't, I mean, I'm just thinking that this was perfect with, and I think this was deliberate, you know, um, the masks, especially, uh, and there's been some spoofs on this by like Babylon B, you know, they had like mask whole mask anonymous mask addict anonymous and, kind of person admits like yeah i i know these don't work but i just i just it's just but they work <laughs> you know <laughs> they do. you know and um i don't know i'm just thinking the psychological effect of that is is really dangerous um and and that seems to be what the where the propaganda is going and may, maybe this is the you know the the final kind of state of the Foucaultian thing um you know you you can't get someone you can't get you can't tyrannize someone to get them to do your will if they think that they're doing only your will. Who wants to do that, right? Who who wants to actually, um, you know, uh, be enslaved to another, uh, and it doesn't do you any good? You know, Aristotle says everything we do is under the the guise of the good, and and it's the problem is is that we have the apparent good and the real good, and we tend to we we choose the apparent good, the one that, the good that seems good to us. Um, but we're still doing it as if it were good. We just make we just make a mistake, um, and that mistake could be more or less culpable. But we're, we're never actually choosing to do what we do or believe what we believe. Well, we're not choosing to do what we do because we think it's evil for us in, so, in every way that'll harm us. And we're never choosing to believe something because we think it's false. You know, um, it seems to go against like the natural law. Um, but maybe what's happening now is um, 
with the with the tyranny, we we kind of know that we're really doing the will of Fauci and Gates or some of some nefarious um, group or energy. We we kind of we be we I'm talking about the people under the spell here. Um, we kind of know that we're not really being helped by these people. They don't have our best interests in mind. How could you think otherwise? I mean, how could you really think they, they love us? But at the same time, we still want to obey them and, and think and, and believe what they say because of some benefit it gives to us. But I think, I think we kind of know in the back of our minds that it's ultimately not beneficial and and that you know what that sounds to me like to me it sounds like damnation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because, because you know the, the the church teaches on hell that nobody goes there unless they choose to. Um. So in other words, um, when you die, if you if you die in a state of um. Uh, en- enmity with God, it means that you, you you know that that choosing um the not God choosing against God is not going to make you happy. And yet you do it anyway, because what you want more than your happiness is to be able to say no to God uh, and, and to just say that you're right to yourself and maybe to all the other people in hell, even if that means misery. Um, and that's what hell is. It's, it's a kind of perpetual relentless refusal of the good um, because there's something you want more than the good, if that's impo- if that's even possible. You want your own will. You want you, you want the ability to be able to will whatever you do will. Um, and if that means willing against God and reality and your own happiness, so be it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- don't you think what's happening now since the scandemic Ukraine is a kind of like conditioning people to behave this way or to have this mindset? Um, you know, that, that's what I'm, I'm wondering. Yes, I, I do think so. You know, talking about what's good for us, the, all of these people who are wildly cheering the war in Ukraine and demanding more uh, support for Ukraine, supposedly, it's really, it's really a NATO versus Russia war and Ukraine is just the pawn. But sure. the way it's presented, of course, is the, the heroic underdog Ukrainians are, are the, are the guys that we should be supporting. So they've got a lot of people. Blue checks on Twitter and people like that all screaming for blood, for Russian blood. And, and let's declare a no fly zone and start shooting down Russian planes. And Biden says, well, that means World War Three. All these people are calling for World War Three. Now, do they realize what they're calling for? Do they really realize is that going to be good for them when the nukes start flying and, and the EMP pulse takes out the power for the next 10 years? And according to projections, 97, 98 percent of the population dies. Is is that going to be good for you? I don't think so. But they're they're clamoring for something that's kind of the worst possible thing for them and everything everybody else around them. And so, yeah, obviously they've got their 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 good and their not so good their value system totally mixed up and discombobulated. And yeah, I think that's probably intentional because when you get people in that state, they're more manipulable. You know, in in the Quran, uh, God uh, says that it can be that something you know seems good to you but it's not and it can be that something that's good for you you know you don't realize it this right. is discussed with uh, in terms of fasting you know we just finished the ramadan fast and so a lot, a lot of people of course you say yeah you should go for a whole month not even touching any food or not even a drop of water from the first light of dawn until sundown 
that sounds like, oh, that's not good for me. Well, actually, it is good for you uh, spiritually and even physically. And now they're starting to learn that fasting is really good for you physically. Science is figuring that out. So it turns yeah. out that Allah was right about that and so many other things. So, yeah, we don't always know what's good for us. But now we're ruled by these demonic types who systematically obscure what's good for us and try to get us going after the bad. And and that's actually the shaitan's uh, role, the, the devil's role in creation is to tempt people to try to, to turn them against God, as you described. And in, in the Islamic view, life is a test to see if we can not not fall for that and indeed follow God's teaching and do what is really good for us, which is what God wants for us. And I think that's actually pretty close to the Christian worldview, too. Yes, it is. And the mystery, though, is is why anyone would choose what's bad for them. I mean, Plato couldn't handle that. Um, and so he said that anytime we choose something that actually damages us, hurts us, is because we don't have knowledge. Um, we, if we had the knowledge of, let's say, justice, you know this, right? Uh, the, it, the, if, we, if we knew the form of justice um, and we really knew it, you know, uh, not just an intellectual, um, but a, a holistic kind of heartfelt, deep, um, you know, penetrating wisdom about what justice is, a, a kind of um, co-natural, they call it, knowledge, experiential even, deep, almost like you become one with it, you would never act unjustly because in doing so, you'd be acting against yourself and no, and we don't do that. Like we're kind of programmed not to do that. Um, and so he thought it was a matter of knowledge. Um, I'm not so sure. Uh, Aristotle introduced the idea of a kind of weakness of of prohiresis is the Greek for choice. Uh, he, never, he didn't have a word for the will, really. Um, voluntas in, in, in Latin. I forgot the Greek. Uh, oh, what's prohiresis is the choice. But he did think that we could act against what we know. Um, and Plato would just say, well, that just, that just means you didn't know it, you know. So you have this debate back and forth. But um, – it seems to me that, the, that what the devil wants is not just to cause you to harm yourself and to cause pain and misery and doubt, despair, but he, he wants you to be guilty. He wants you to do this knowingly, cho- choose the the evil knowingly, um, even knowing where it's going to land you. You know, because, I mean, if you think about the devil had perfect intellect, uh, according to the church, like a, a perfect created intellect, he wasn't he couldn't be tempted by passions or uh, emotions or lack of knowledge. And his knowledge was perfect in the sense that in the very act uh, of an angel, he sees all the possible consequences of the act up unto eternity. Um, And so he's fully in his uh, aware. And so the mystery is, is why this angel, knowing that he would end up losing the war, that he was going to engage in and end up in a, in a state of misery depart, you know, separate from God, why he would still choose it. And again, it, it has to be because one just simply wants what one wants, whatever that is more than one wants what's actually good. In wanting what's actually good, you have to admit that your goodness is not under your control. You have to receive it from another, Right. Um, you're dependent in some way on your unhappiness. In other words, you're not self-sufficient to make yourself happy. And for whatever reason, um, there's something in us that, that balks at that. 
it's called original sin in the Christian tradition. Um, that, that we have a tendency to, uh, to, to want to be independent like God is, right? So God is not dependent. His happiness is, is, is by his very existence. It's, it's, he is happiness. So he doesn't depend on, um, anything other. Well, all creatures are dependent and that's just our lot. And our happiness is to accept that, that dependence and then live a life of religion, uh, which is reconnect, religio, um, and humility and in de- independence and surrender, um, which of course makes you vulnerable. Uh, what if you're surrendering to something that could hurt you? Well, if you're perf- perfectly vulnerable, then you're going to be hurt. So maybe we, 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 we simultaneously are doubtful about this surrender because we don't know what we're surrendering to. So we want to, have a bulwark in ourselves so we can have control, right? We can have self-sufficiency. That seems to be what the culture is trying to tell us. And um, so you put all that together and you have people who um, are very, uh, you know, intent on preserving their personal power because if they don't, someone else will get them. That sounds like Hobbes war against, you know, all against all, right? Um, so we have to preserve this, this self-protection and power and maybe that's, you know, part of this, the reason why people are now, um, you know, choosing to believe lies and to believe lies that are harmful if it means that they can still have a sense of their own independence, autonomy or power. And, and they want that more than anything. And if that's what you want more than anything else, well, you'll have that for eternity. Um, you'll have you know, um, you, you'll be dependent on yourself only. You'll have no one to answer for, but you'll be entirely alone, isolated, and um, in a way spiritually buried alive. But at least you have your, at least you can say, my will be done. Not, not thy will be done. My will be done. Even if that will is to be spiritually buried alive for eternity. So this sounds pretty scary and horrific, but Honestly, when I look around and see all the people giving into the lies so easily, even the ones who should know better, right? Even the ones who are trained in philosophy, theology, spirituality, the leaders of religion, um, I'm seeing such a treachery, a mass treachery against truth that I just, it just makes me really wonder how many people are going to make it? Am I going to make it? I mean, it, it really is bracing, isn't it, Kevin? I yeah, thought, it kind of feels like the end times. I thought 9-11 was the worst when I started to see it happening there, right? I mean, and so did you, but did you ever imagine it would get to this state? Uh, no, I I'm, I'm kind of, you know, expected, I guess 9-11 conditioned me to imagine that it would continue in that vein, that it would be all, you know, this war against Islam would go on forever, uh, which, of course, was the purpose of 9-11. They wanted a sort of 100 years or who knows, maybe a 1,000 years war on Islam, uh, primarily to benefit Israel, but also to bring in the kind of totalitarian power behind these, these f- folks that did it. So I kind of thought it would keep going in that vein. And if there were going to be another bigger war, it would probably be them going after Iran, which is right. really the biggest thorn in the side of, of Israel and in some ways of the empire itself. I didn't think it would be Russia because it seemed that Russia's policy, like China's, was – uh, patience and so on. And so I, I, I didn't see that coming and I, I didn't see the COVID thing coming either. I have to admit, I mean, you know, we talk about all of these possibilities are all sorts of catastrophes that could hit. And yeah, we've talked a little bit about that in the past before COVID hit. There could be 
a pandemic or even a fake pandemic, like all of these other possibilities. But no, I, I certainly wouldn't have put that at the top of, of what I imagined would be coming. So yeah, it kind of blindsided me too and everybody else, I guess, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, when you talk about that, my will be done rather than thy will be done, uh, being the kind of the, the damned person's motto that, yeah. that fits in very much with the kind of, you know, primordial uh, scene in, in the Quran where uh, God creates Adam and uh, the devil objects and and says uh, you know, refuses to bow down. God orders all of the the angels to bow down before Adam and uh, and the devil, who actually isn't an angel. He's he's a jinn, but it's a similar kind of being, but not as high as the angels. He wow. uh, refuses to bow down, and he, the God says, well, you know, what's wrong with you? And he he says uh, he says I'm better than him. You know, wow. he made he made me out of fire. And you made him out of just clay or mud. And right. so then God, you know, then he, God sends and damns him. And the devil says, can you give me a reprieve till the judgment day so I can try to beguile the, the, those, these humans that I hate so much? And God says, yeah, that's your job. <laughs> so he's part of the test. And this, all of this is a big test. And of course, in Islam, we, we say there's no, you know, get out of jail free card or anything. It's, it's totally up to each one of us to die with our good deeds outweighing our sins right. and uh, and then we're we're in paradise and if not then not we, uh, it's hellfire so that that's kind of the the that islamic worldview but it's it's pretty similar to what you were saying in terms of the devil's prime defect and the defect of the people who follow him is this kind of egotism where it's uh, i'm better than him you know it's me 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 and I think that actually represents something in creation. When God created this creation and gave it absolute freedom, you know, every, every subatomic particle has a little bit of freedom. And as they group together and form more complex things, the, the level of freedom rises. You get up to humans. There's a really intense level of freedom as our brains are, you know, firing on the quantum edge a zillion times yeah. a second. So we have vast amounts of freedom. And that includes the freedom to choose evil. And so uh, this test is a test as creation, you know, is all of creation uh, choosing God uh, and submission to God or Islam, or is it choosing evil, which is rebellion against God? And that, but, you know, to make it a good test, creation has to have that selfishness, right? Everything in creation is, has this element of me, 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 you know, every, and every creature wants to increase and flourish yeah. and gain pleasure and power and me, me, me has a sense of itself as opposed to the non-self and it favors yeah. the self. And so that becomes the equivalent, I guess, what you would call original sin. And, uh, and that, you know, we seem to be in a time right now where the whole human species is really radically being misled by these, uh, satanic forces. Yeah, and it, it it must be for the good. I mean, to me, the the good of all this is 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 you're seeing um, who exactly is you know is really a non Foucaultian. Now, getting back to Foucault, I mean, I think what Foucault was presenting was the culture and um, philosophy of hell, you know, which is uh, the most sacred act we can we can do is speech i mean for christianity god became the word the logos it means word um we have sacred scripture you know you have the quran we i mean speech is a kind of um div divine uh, it's only humans can speak animals can it's it's a div it's a divine uh participation speech 
and um it's the it's the primary uh instrument of love is a speech i think i mean deeds are a kind of speech too gestures and bodily expressions i mean you know in other words communication rationally um of 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 reality the highest reality can only be done through speech um from human to human god can do this without speech through mystical uh enlightenment but for humans it's 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 speech and so the sacredness of language i think is the thing being attacked the most um in the foucauldian system and it seems to me that's that's just happening everywhere the, the sacredness of the word um so people are being habituated uh to use their their speech making power uh as a instrument of of egocentric um vam- vampiric power and uh it's it's we're being conditioned from the top down on this but we're seeing how many people are are okay with this uh who maybe were were closet foucauldians you know before and maybe they're given more uh they're they're now being given kind of carte blanche to to be able to you know live out their their foucauldian um fantasies and um yeah i i think maybe to me it's it's just it's a great um sifting and let's say uh you know the the darkness is coming to light J- just how many people are are really um you know unwilling to to be in the truth when it comes down to it you know and it's scary because uh, e- you know each of us could be could be tempted and fail um you know the, the 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 our father prayer says lead us not into temptation we pray that, that every day many times a day because we don't want to be tested and and fail um but it looks to me that god is saying nope it's time for the testing um your life is a test no matter what but now it's intense okay the the fact that your life is a test is uh becoming more real you might say what it's happening on the macrocosm and to me i'm i'm both um accepting of this with gratitude because it it makes the drama more apparent and the stakes more real and you know who wants a life of just mindless pleasure seeking and and where religion is really not that important because everything's fine i mean you really don't want that um it's dangerous on the other hand obviously it's it's scary and it's um it makes every minute more more sacred uh it it seems like time is speeding up too so what yeah you mentioned in the, the end times i i i really do think that i mean if this isn't the end times i don't know how long it's going to go but if this isn't what 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 would be you know yeah how how much worse could it get uh <laughs> to be more end times than this well right. you, you mentioned that it seems like a lot of people are closet Foucauldians, but there are also those who are pushing back from all of these different kinds of angles yeah. and, and we're being lumped together now. You know, we used to be lumped as conspiracy theorists and so on. And, and now they're lumping us as, as the new right, which is kind of weird. You know, right. for most of my life, I thought I was a little leaning more on the left than the right if I had to pick, but now, Everybody who's awake is is the new right. There was just this Vanity Fair piece that I sent you the link. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. About about this, it's basically it's a, it's intended to be a hit piece against 
these people and, and the people that the hit piece is targeting, quote, share a basic worldview that individualist liberal ideology, increasingly bureaucratic governments and big tech are all combining into a world that is at once tyrannical, chaotic and devoid of the systems of value and morality that give human life richness and meaning. As Blake Masters recently put it, a dystopian hell world. Yeah, I guess I'm one of the people that sort of take that. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, you're you're a new rightist if you <laughs> believe every word of man insofar as man is ruling over you. Um, if you, I'm sorry, if you de- if you don't believe everything that's told to you by authority, I thought that was the left. Wasn't that the left? Yeah, yeah, they they flipped, haven't they? <laughs> Talk about Orwellian, right? The, 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 I thought the, the authoritarian personality, you know, Hork, is that, uh, Horkheimer and all this stuff. Uh, I thought the left was the one who doubted narratives. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's what, uh, what's his name? Leotard, right? Uh, mm-hmm. postmodern condition. There are no more meta narratives, right? The time of meta narrators are over. You know, and only what? A hundred years, not even. No, he wrote that in the sixties. Oh, in only eighty years or so, um, we now have the opposite. That that there's only meta narratives, and there's only one. And if you question it, uh, you're a truther, and therefore on the new right, and you're a domestic terrorist, and you're a disinformation spreader, and you're also a plague on the the new mystical body of man. <laughs> as, as a, well, that's what that's what Robert Hugh Benson said in his book written in the 19, early 1900s called Lord of the World. It's his book on the Antichrist. And he 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 envisioned, um, you know, this this cancerous limb on the mystical body of man. And he really predicted exactly what you're talking about. Uh, us where the where the cancer and how do you get rid of cancer, Kevin? Well, you remove the limb or chemotherapy. And, and that's how it ended his book. Um mass murder of every single person who didn't bow down to a Felden, Feldenstein, I think was the name of the Antichrist, which is interesting. Hmm, yeah, oh, maybe Felsen, I should read that. Felsenberg, Felsenberg, maybe? Felsenberg or Fel, yeah. Oh, it's worth reading. Yeah, Robert Hugh Benson, Lord of the World. It's really prescient, amazingly, yeah. Oh, it sounds like a dystopian classic. Well, it is getting, you know, we're in weird times when if you're a peacenik and a civil liberties advocate, you're a radical right-wing extremist. Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah, I just saw your piece on that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they've really uh, messed with our, our minds, messed with our categories. But we are pushing back. And the cool thing about this Vanity Fair piece, uh, Inside the New Right, uh, is that it kind of shows that our way of thinking seems to be becoming trendy among younger people. Yes. So, hey, that's cool. Uh, maybe we'll live long enough to be cool again. Well, that might be something to be um, not so celebrated, right? Because is it is it are they into this stuff because it's um, because it's cool and hip and different and anti-establishment, or because it's true? And and do they know it to be true? Um, if 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 the motivation for liking this this new counterculture um, is because of some avant-garde, you know, desire to be avant-garde. I mean, that's that's not going to help things, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the issues with Alexander Dugan. I have uh, had Charles Upton on the show talking about that. He wrote a great critique of Alexander Dugan, who's pretty popular in some of these new right circles. 
And of course, now he's the the guru of Putin's war, according to the establishment. And I, I met him in Tehran, and he seems like a nice enough guy. And we shared stories of how both of us were massively influenced by uh, by Rene Guénon and oh. the traditionalist movement. And it, so I, I like him personally. Uh, however, as Charles Upton points out, he's got a kind of a Heideggerian background. He's a little bit on the postmodernist side himself, and so some of that has been kind of scary and dubious. Apparently he was in some group when he was young that had satanic overtones and stuff. Uh, so there, there's a, an element of where he's coming from that seems to be kind of contaminated with this, this whole sort of postmodern quasi-satanic thing. And Upton's very, very worried about that. And a lot of this new right seems to similarly have a tinge of that, that, you know, they haven't quite gotten past the whole Nietzschean. Well, that's uh, Foucaultian. Back to yeah. Foucault. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if the new right and the Duganites are all about, you know, taking back power um, or using using their highfalutin uh, philosophy and theology for the sake of r- manipulating the discourse for the truth, for God, I mean, that's still Foucaultian, right? Um, yeah. I mean, that that's the paradox here is 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 true power is is. For Christianity, the crucifixion, the cross, true power is love. Um, love your enemies. Um, I mean, it, it is true power. It's not just rhetoric here, but it's the it's the paradoxical power of. And it doesn't mean there isn't a such thing as a just war. It doesn't mean you don't critique your enemies. It doesn't mean you don't fight. It just means that 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 kind of idea that what what matters really in the end is your own power or the power. The, the dominating power of your religion, your paradigm, um, it can't be domination. It, 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 it's, it's surrender to reality, I mean, is what religion's all about. And so how do you get people to surrender to reality? Well, you can't do it by force. You can't do it by manipulation. It has to be through, um, through, through the, an encounter with the reality um, and from you becoming that reality that they encounter. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous too. Uh, although I'm, I'm happy that there's at least an intellectual, uh, reaction and rebellion against, you know, these ideologies. Uh, but it's very easy to morph into the mirror image of the thing you hate. Don't you think? I mean, that's, that's yeah. a game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me that the new right, which start really they look, they all look back to Guénon, just like I do, like Dugan does. But they seem to miss the fact that Guénon surrendered to God. Uh, he did it through Islam because that he saw that as the best preserved revelation. He turned against all this manipulation that came wow. out of Freemasonry after he'd been in Freemasonry, and he just surrendered to God. He wrote the books of truth as he saw it, and then he went to Cairo and lived in a very modest kind of neighborhood as a pious Muslim among pious Muslims and worshiped yeah. God for the rest of his life. And I don't, some of these people are following, I mean, maybe Julius Evola, who wants to politicize things, which inevitably leads to getting away from truth and returning to the Foucaultian. But. Yeah, it's, it's Nietzschean, Nietzschean religion, Nietzschean theism, you know, we've got to be careful of that. And we sure do. And that's a good place to leave it because we hit the end of the hour. The bumper music is playing, so it's time to say thank you, Thaddeus Kaczynski, for all of your great work at your Substack, which is thaddeuskaczynski.substack.com. Yes, thanks, Kevin. Very, very fun to talk to you. Okay, likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thaddeus Kaczynski back in the next hour with Lynn Dim. This is Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com.